Welcome to Closer to Venus. I'm Johnny Burke. Today's guest is Julia Wesley. She is a teacher, an Akashic Records reader, and a soul blueprint healer, which is exactly what we're going to talk about today. Julia, welcome, or should I say welcome back to the program. Hi, thank you for having me again. Excellent. The last time we spoke, we went pretty much in depth to the Akashic Records, and it was it was very insightful, but we did not have a chance to go into the soul blueprint. So what exactly is a soul blueprint and how is that type of session different from what you normally do? Right. So a soul blueprint is basically the directions of how to make you. So when I was first learning this, I was studying under a medium and I was trying to pick up on people's Aunt Sue. But instead, what my guides were giving me were the energetic imprint of the person I was reading. So the way that they would show this to me would be uh, a person standing in the center of a snowflake. What they were trying to express to me was that this is this person's unique individual expression and that they're like a special snowflake. We're all special snowflakes. So I just intuitively understood that that's what that was. I sometimes see people like in the flower of life or in like a mandala. And so I understood that if I go into the energy of this imprint of this symbol they were giving me, that I would get the gist of who they are and we could unpack that. This is important. I go into the Akashic Records to get this information. I primarily work in the Akash. And when I pull this information from their guides, they your guides typically give me this information. We do this so that we can heal your relationship with your ego. Uh, you're not supposed to kill your ego like you hear in a lot of spiritual circles. Your ego is actually a really important and valid perspective of the divine. So you were created with the intention to be who you are on purpose. So you're not supposed to get rid of it or to kill it. And part of a soul blueprint healing is I'm healing your relationship with yourself. A lot of the times we have false stories and false identities and false beliefs, a lot of bondage onto who we think that we are or can be. And that colors the way that we see ourselves and how we interact with our life. I'm sure you've heard of the life review process at the end of your life. A lot of the times we don't finish half the stuff that we are capable of doing or that we intended to come here and do. That can be pretty disappointing. <laughs> you know, you go through. It's like having homework that you did not finish. Or you didn't even realize you were supposed to do, you know? And so you're like, shoot. And if you do this work of healing your relationship with yourself, because we're all here to do and to be as ourself, if you can express that and if you can consciously do that work, then you're going to be able to do so much more. You're going to fulfill so much more of your purpose. That's what a soul blueprint healing does for you. Now, the ego, which you just brought up a moment ago, it seems to be one of the more important components in the spiritual realm, whether we're talking about the kosher, uh, near-death experiences, life review, which comes up a lot. But it's also one of the most confusing. I can see why some of these spiritual pundits recommend killing the ego which makes it even more confusing. So why is the ego so important? Yeah, so first I would say, how hard is it to kill your ego? It's like impossible, right? No matter how hard you try, you're like, well, I'm still me. I still like these things. If I stop paying attention to who I am and what I do, if I stop, you know, it's like breathing, right? If you pay attention to your breathing, all of a sudden you're hyper aware of it and you can't relax into it at all. And then when you stop paying attention to it, all of a sudden breathing gets easier. You don't place any of these restrictions on how you're supposed to breathe, yada, yada. So you can't make yourself stop breathing any more than you can kill your ego. 
It's just a natural expression of who you are. It's how we live. It's how we do things. I had a hard time with this because I was of the opinion that we all needed to kill our ego. So I was trying really hard. And I was like, why can't I do it? Why is this so hard? Like, I I see all these gurus do it. Said guru. I see him doing it. I love said guru, by the way. But I'm like, why can't? Why can't I do this? And my guys expressed to me. Oh, what's that? When you say you're spiritual gurus, I'm curious to where the thought or the idea of killing your ego, where did that originate? You know, I don't know. I'm not sure where exactly it comes from, but I do understand the thought and the reasoning behind it. Because the ego, as we understand it, is really wrapped up in pain. So when we talk about the ego, we're talking about separation. And when we're talking about separation, we're talking about things like war, famine, how we hate each other, how we can't get along. Typically, we're talking about like politics. You know, if it's a third world country, it's even worse. And basically, you're forgetting that you are part of everything. You are not this individual. So from the human ego perspective, where we completely forget that we are part of the all, the one, that we're not separate, we're just playing in the illusion that we are, then we tend to panic, right? Because the ego is all that we know. This is the only perspective that we remember. And so the ego is looking for some sort of foundation. Who am I? How can I identify myself? It needs something to attach to. And typically what it does to feel safe is it makes itself very small. And so it wraps itself in who society tells that it can be, who society tells that it can't be, who your loved ones and your friends and your family, your pastor, your guru, your priest, all those authority figures in your life, they tell you who you can be and you can't be. And this is painful. So all of these ideas of who we can and we can't be is what creates that idea of separation. And when they talk about killing your ego, like that's not a bad thing to get rid of, right? But the first gut instinct I would have is yes, I remember a friend of mine telling me a long time ago when we were still playing in bands and we were aspiring artists, he told me ego is the enemy of all art. I thought, okay, great. So does that mean you need to reach nirvana where you have no more ego and no more desires or is that completely unreasonable. Of course, he had no explanation for that. It's a happy medium you have to find when we're talking about inspiration, right? There has to be enough of a container. There has to be enough of an ego for you to reach out and pull a specific perspective or work or creation from the all. But at the same time, you can't overpower it with your own ego that's searching for identity, right? Because then you color it, then it starts to be really obvious that it's ego fluffing. So it's a real happy medium. If you get to the point where you completely destroy your ego, you die, you ascend into the all and you become nothing, which is fine. But we're human. We're here on purpose. And we're here to figure out how to be an expression of God as a human being, right? And if we kill our ego, our humanity, the thing that makes us play with separation, then, well, it's like showing up for work and then like leaving on the first day. It's this is why we're here, you know? So what my guys gave to me was this idea of perspectives. So the way that we are currently expressing the ego, I call it, it's the pain ego. Because it's an ego, it's an identity, a personality, a construct that is limited by pain. If we step outside of these boundaries, it will hurt. If I step outside of these boundaries, I will no longer feel love. I need to stay in this little tight corner here so that I will be accepted and cared for by the group or the community I belong to, so I will be safe. That's painful. That's really, that hurts. The other term I like to use is the soul ego, which sounds contradictory, but if we're going to go back to the Akashic Records, from the very moment that the soul becomes aware of itself, consciousness becomes aware of consciousness, there is that illusion, the belief of separation. It recognizes that 
I just came from something that I was not separate from, but now all of a sudden I recognize there's a me and not, you know, just everything. And so it's confusing. But at that little spot there where a little bit of consciousness becomes aware of itself, that's ego. It's consciousness looking at consciousness, recognizing consciousness. It's that little bit of separation. Isn't really separation, but it's, you know, it's like you being aware of you. A baby probably has this moment. Every time a dog looks in a mirror, it's probably like, whoa, what's that? You know, like that is consciousness becoming aware of itself. So that is the soul's ego. The soul has a much grander understanding that it is still part of everything, but it's just a drop in the ocean that is aware that it's a drop in the ocean. So that's the soul's ego. It's way healthier. It's way more integrated. It has a better understanding that it's divine. And so to go back to perspectives, what my guides were trying to teach to me was that ego is great. It's healthy. It's human because it's a specific lens through the kaleidoscope of consciousness that the divine is looking at itself through. So it's pretty important that you be yourself because God is learning through you, right? You will never be created again. You have never been created before. And so we're going to take this time and this opportunity to figure out what it's like to experience the world through the lens of John or through the lens of Julia. I was trying to understand what is consciousness? What is this thing that we keep talking about with like God? What's the higher self? What's the ego? My guides were trying to express to me, they were trying to teach me that the ego is just a very detail-oriented perspective. So when the ego is something that is so insular within itself that it can't search or look for experiences or empathize outside of itself, that's when the ego becomes unhealthy. It's forgotten that it has a higher perspective. That higher perspective, the higher self perspective, is sort of the bird's eye view of everything, right? It's not necessarily as focused on the minutia of what it is to be John, but it does have a greater understanding of how John's life intersects with everyone and everything else. So that's the higher self perspective. And then if we go even higher, there is like the God self perspective where it understands that it's not only just pretending to be John, it's also pretending to be like a million other people, and at the same time is part of everything. It's distinct, but not separate. So they actually told me that from the ego perspective, it creates the higher self perspective in a way. It's not actually a you. It's a more integrated part of you that understands that Yeah, I'm Johnny, but I also understand how I as Johnny interact with everything else. So it's really important that we keep our ego perspective because it's necessary. It's the detail-oriented nature of what it is to be human. It's a very good explanation. I got the image of some kind of umbilical cord between the higher self and the ego, which seems to be a lens, as you just described, which it's almost like an assignment from God, if you look at it that way. Like, Mm, mm -hmm. this is your assignment, should you choose to accept it. (laughs) (laughs) right and you're gonna go and you're gonna choose this body and this life and these parents and and whatever else that entails you also bring up the spirit guides and just how important are the spirit guides in this journey in this process so they're actually pretty important you don't necessarily have to be aware of them and work with them sometimes that's not part of everyone's life path or what they've decided to do here but they do a lot more work behind the scenes than you realize they are really great cheerleaders they also 
arrange things energetically behind the scenes. When it comes to the physical and getting things done in your day-to-day life, like this is your job, right? But if you're trying to manifest something or you're trying to say, hey, I need some insight on this. I'm looking for the higher self perspective that I just can't reach right now. They're really good for that. In terms of your soul blueprint, I work with guides so that I don't have to go digging around in your energy and I can just say, hey, do you mind telling me like what John would need to know about his blueprint so he can heal his relationship with himself and live in alignment with his true being? And they go, yeah, sure, here's that. For me, as someone who does this for a living, it's way less taxing on me to work with your guides than to work with with your energy here. Okay, so they're actually critically important from what I'm understanding. (laughs) Yeah, they're fairly important. Yeah. So I'll digress just for a moment. Since we're talking about spirit guides, angel numbers, so on and so forth. My friend Eddie, well, he lives in Rome now, but he sent me a WhatsApp message. And the message was four minutes and 44 seconds long. Um, Coincidence or not really? No, no such thing. No such thing. (laughs) No, there's um, synchronicity, which is basically the universe winking at you. So synchronicity is possible because time is not linear. So Mm -hmm. that's fun. That's a good evidence for you. If if you're like, I keep seeing twos everywhere. Two, two, two. Five, yeah. five, five, 11, 11, 12, 12. And I'm thinking, is this me being over conscious or, or just really examining a little bit too closely? But when I saw that today, I just had to chuckle. Were they always there? It could be the universe using the extra awareness that you're placing on your outer world to give you symbols and messages. But it really also is the universe saying, hey, John's paying attention. Let's let's give him a nudge. I like to think of little synchronicities like that as, as sort of like the universe tapping you on the shoulder, reaching out with its finger and saying, hey, here's here's a symbol for you. Regarding the uh, the soul blueprints, which I think are obviously very important, soul blueprints in relation to someone's spiritual awakening. Does a spiritual awakening necessarily come afterwards or not necessarily? Not necessarily. The soul blueprint in the work that I do with it is really to help you become aware of yourself. What are you here to do? How are you here to express? How can you do it? What Mm -hmm. are you capable of if you do? A spiritual awakening can sometimes be within the blueprint and sometimes going through a session with me does trigger an awakening, sort of like how this podcast has probably triggered a bunch of stuff for you. Hopefully. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you keep talking about angel numbers. So right. well, I mean, this, this is how we all learn. I'm doing my, it's kind of like a digital version of an archaeological dig where you discover something and think, okay, so what is that? I need to talk to my mentor or something, which the spirit guides comes up mm-hmm. in almost every conversation I have. So what is a soul chart? Is that part of a blueprint? Is it the same thing? I'm not quite sure. I think it depends in the context. Do you mean sort of like a star chart in like astrology? I think that might be. I don't know what a soul chart is, but the last time I talked to somebody about blueprints and so on, they mentioned a soul chart. It might be more of an an astrological thing. I'm not really sure. That's not part of your work, though. I don't work in astrology. It's just not something that makes much sense to me. But I do know people who are fantastic at it. It is possible to look at your chart in a way to see it as an expression of your soul blueprint. 
I guess you could say that your soul chart is perhaps another way of saying your soul blueprint. I just have never heard it like that. That doesn't mean that it's not that way. Also, your soul blueprint is because it's an expression of you. You can also tap into, like, say, your root chakra, your body, your physical body itself and pick up on the energetic sequence of who you are. So there's so many different ways to tap into your soul blueprint. I work through the Akashic Records because it's easiest for me. It's just what I'm naturally attuned to. But there are so many different ways to access the same information because you yourself are actually a portal into the Akashic Records. You can work through your own energy to get to that spot. Is it possible for a soul to have more than one blueprint? No. No. So you are you. That's just how that is. You, everything about you from your hair to, you know, what you like to have for dinner is an expression of your blueprint. You're not going to have two people's blueprints in you. I know that sometimes there are people who perhaps absorb a twin in utero or something like that, but you're still going to be an expression of you. Perhaps there is some sort of element that is being expressed from that other person, but let's just say for the sake of the argument, your blueprint's your blueprint. That being said, you and any interaction that you have with another person will create its own blueprint. So basically a blueprint is a highest intention for an interaction. So you, John, as a human are interacting here on earth. What are you here to do? What's your blueprint? What's your plan? What's your goal, right? Mm So you and I, John, when we interact, we have a blueprint for what it is that we're creating here. That's really cool. So to go back to that twin example, that interaction between the twin that survived and the twin that got absorbed and didn't make it, they perhaps have a blueprint between the two of them that they're still working out. However, your blueprint's still yours. You're not going to have two. There's no need for one, more than one. Timeline healing. What exactly is that and how does that work? So it goes back to the idea that time is nonlinear. So you can move in any direction within time because you're just standing at one point in it, right? It's not a progression from A to B to C to D, you know, it, there are decimals within that mixing metaphors there, but you know what I mean. So timeline healing is something that you can do for This life, say I had an experience when I was five, I didn't know what to do with it or how to relate to it. So it was sort of traumatic for me. And then you can go back to, you know, maybe when you're 36 and you can look back on that situation a little bit detached and to say, well, what actually did happen? When you heal your relationship, no matter what point along your timeline that you're in with that event that happened when you were five, you actually heal the timeline itself. So you are no longer the five-year-old that had no idea what to do with that information, which then informed how you lived your life up until, you know, you decided to go back and look on it. So that's how that works. So you can actually heal something that has happened in the quote-unquote past, and you can actually send love and energy to something that may happen in your quote-unquote future. An Akashic Records reading is very much timeline healing. If you are tapping into the timeline of someone that you shouldn't be tapping into, and we heal your connection to it, you're actually helping to heal the timeline of the energy that you were connecting into before, the consciousness of it. So it's it's really cool because time is omnidirectional. Anytime you act in the spot that you are on it, you influence time in all directions. When we talk about the future and how this relates to the records and the blueprint and anything that's involved with that, if someone wants to influence their future in obviously the most positive way possible, how would you approach that? So if you want to affect your future in the most positive way possible, what I would recommend is to actually be in your present moment as often as you can be. 
as often as you can. I don't want to say make yourself, but the more that you concentrate on being exactly where you are right here, right now, you're going to be able to make the conscious choices that fit best for you. I'm going to give you an example. It's for me. So I once had an unsolicited reading sent to me by someone who likes to engage in spirituality in a way that's fear-based. So doomsday predictions are very common for this person. And they told me that I was going to be in this horrible accident, that I needed to keep taking the medication that my doctor prescribed to me. First of all, I'm not on any medication. What horrible accident are you talking about? It was basically a reading designed to punch all my triggers. And what I had to learn from that was A, this person was just full of it, and B, that I actually have the ability to say, well, I'm not going to choose that. I want to choose something else. Like, the information that you picked up on may be correct and right in some time, but I don't want it to be the time that I experience. So there's always that option of choice, of possibility that you can tune into. Tangents? Yes. A possible path. Yep. There might be several paths, but you're, you're not going to choose that. It's interesting. It is. Yeah. So you have the opportunity to say, all right, well, maybe I'll, I'll go down this dead end path. They don't always lead somewhere, you know, more grand. Sometimes they are dead ends. That would have been a dead end path for me. I wouldn't have learned anything. That would have just been an opportunity for me to be like, pick myself up, dust myself off and get back to where I was supposed to go. So what I had to learn from that unsolicited reading from her was that I was going to stay in my present moment and choose here right now the place that gave me joy to be in it now the reason I tell you to stay in the now and not try and go into your future and send love to it is because the future is created in the present every time that you make a choice that it is in alignment with your joy and in your highest good and it is in alignment with who you are you're setting yourself up for a future that replicates your present So basically, like attracts like, if you are enjoying what you're doing now, you're just going to create more of it. That being said, if you are like, I know that in two weeks, I'm going to have to go to my grandpa's funeral and it's going to be really tough for me. You can send love to future self and say, hey, you know, I'm going to give you a little support whenever my grandpa is being lowered or the last time I'll see him or something. And you can send love to yourself. And that actually does give you a little boost to know that you're sort of like hugging yourself from the past. But if you're trying to avert a doomsday prediction like I was, it's really important to be in your present moment. When people come to you for a reading of any kind, for that matter, Mm -hmm. and they have relationship type questions, in other words, dating this girl or guy, I have an overwhelming attraction to them. I really like them, love them and or whatever. When they ask things like, is this person right for me? Are you able to answer that? Or how does that work? I have an interesting perspective on this. The idea of twin flames and soulmates and all that jazz is something that's like really prevalent. And if that is a belief that you're working with and using and it feels right and good to you, don't let me take it from you. But you are not half of anything. You're whole and complete exactly as you are. So if someone comes to me and they say, this is this relationship that I'm in, I think it's really great. Is this the person that I'm supposed to be with? Well, do you want to be with them? A relationship is not necessarily always long-term, but that doesn't mean that it's not impactful or meaningful or useful to you on a soul level. On top of that, if you come to me and you're like, this is a twin flame, you can't tell me any different. Okay, fine. Mm -hmm. What I would work with you on is your relationship with yourself. 
Because even if this person is your twin flame, if you can't figure out how to like yourself and you're going to this other person to fulfill a need or a comfort or a sense of lack within you, it's never going to be a healthy relationship. It's just not. So this is actually good soul blueprint work. When we tap into who you are and what it is that you want to do and what you bring to the table in a relationship, Mm -hmm. we're no longer worried about this other person because if he or she is meant to be in your life, the more you that you are, the more into you they're going to be. Right. So you're not going to have to do any sort of like black magic to get them to stay. It's, we're not going to have to trick them. You know, like it's this is just you. And if they're into you, then they're going to stay. Right. Unless they've got their own stuff to work with. But, but for the sake of the argument, stay with me here. So I always tell people your only job is to be more of yourself and the people who are meant to come into your life are going to come into your life and then stay if it benefits the both of you. Twin flames. I've heard that expression a few times. How do we know what a twin flame is? Or is that a discussion for another day entirely? So from my understanding of a twin flame, it would be another consciousness that was created, born from the same flame as you. So basically, you came from the same batch. It's supposed to be deeper than a soulmate sort of a connection. So it's deeper than a soulmate. I don't necessarily see twin flames really reflected in the world around me. So that could just be perhaps I've never run into it. Or it could be perhaps that it's it's just a false understanding that we have of a phenomena. Personally, in my my experience and work in the Akashic Records, when you come across someone who you're like, oh my God, this is like undeniable chemistry. I've never felt this way about someone else. Like this has got to be some sort of like soul deep, karmically aligned mate for me. You probably have come together and there probably was an intention for you guys to meet or your personalities are just so evenly, perfectly matched, like a yin and a yang situation that you're Mm -hmm. like, this is it. This is my person. I don't necessarily think that our lessons in life and our path as a soul is directly tied to another soul. That is a bit hobbling to you. You are literally a fractal of God. You don't need to use anyone as a crutch. This isn't a three-legged race. A fractal, which is like a shard of light or something. Mm-hmm. Right? Yeah. Wow. On your website, there's references to light workers. I'm mm-hmm. not sure whether that's a light workers union. <laughs> Like a, like a plumber's <laughs> union or something like that. But that expression, it comes up a lot in the realm of all things spiritual and metaphysical. What mm-hmm. is a light worker and how does that apply to you and your work? Yeah. So I'm not a huge fan of the term, but I use it because everyone knows what you're talking about when you say it. A light worker is supposed to be someone who works with the light. They are working in high vibe energies, which is, again, another term that I'm not a huge fan of. I'm a big fan of wholeness and incorporation and making sure that you relate to your emotions and any energy that you're feeling in a healthy way. A light worker is typically someone who does the work of a healer. They do energy work. They're very concerned about consciousness and healing the way that we all relate to one another. <clears throat> you know, that, that type of stuff. Mm-hmm. I think that, is it the work of... Can't remember. There was a channel who brought through that information. And it may have been Jeshua. Someone was channeling, I think the name's Jeshua, and brought through the idea of like a light worker. At least that was the first time I had heard it. But it caught on like wildfire. So if you go into like a spiritual community or you'll hear the term light worker. And basically it's just someone who's very concerned with consciousness. That makes sense. So maybe at one point I might try to fill out an application for that <laughs> evening. I'll let you know what happened. 
I think it's a, a self-appointed term. <laughs> Interesting. Yeah. In your line of work, when someone advertises as an Akashic Records reader or medium for that matter, how do we know they're actually the authentic and the real thing? If they're the real McCoy. What I like to do is I like to tell people to get a feel for whoever they're trying to get a reading from. So most people will have an About Me page or they'll have a blog or they'll have a YouTube channel or a Facebook page where they've gone up live or a podcast. You'll get a feel for them. Is this a person that I just instinctually like? Is this someone that I've heard them talk? They sound knowledgeable. They sound like they know what they're talking about. I like what they say about what they do. Or there are some people who have just picked this up off the streets. They got thrown into the deep end from it and they're very knowledgeable and very good at it but it also really helps to know where did you learn who taught you do you have teachers are you still being taught i tend to stay away from spiritual practitioners who think that they're done learning if you have gone to an akashic records reader and they're like i don't have to learn anymore about any of this i am done i am a master i am complete That is a really great sign for you to know that this person has reached as far as they're going to reach in their spiritual progression. They're not going to learn anything more. Anything that they have about the Akashic Records may in fact be completely outdated because they think that they're done, right? So that's just something to keep in mind. But your number one discernment tool is going to be you. Get a feel for someone. Look at their YouTube page. Listen to their podcasts. It's a good point that you made about someone who thinks that they have reached that pinnacle where they can't learn anything more, which completely contradicts the idea of spiritual development and reincarnating over and over again until you reach nirvana, as it's described, where you are free of desire and free of wants and anything else. What has this process taught you or informed you about reincarnation? So the idea that we have a reincarnation, that we are the same soul being recycled again and again to relearn specific lessons is really karma heavy. It's really dogma heavy. And it's not necessarily a reflection of what is actually truth. So we do, when I say we, I'm talking from the soul level, not the identity of Julia level. We do incarnate in different bodies and in different times. But what the blueprint has taught me is that we are unique. We are completely unique and separate. And nothing like us has ever been created again. Nothing like us ever will be created again. So we're not here to sort out the problems from the lifetime that we had in feudal Japan. That's not my problem. My problem is to be Julia and to figure out how I can express myself to my fullest extent. When we tune into other lifetimes like that, we're pulling on the karma, the pain of that lifetime. And we're trying to find an identity from it, the pain ego, pull the pain from another lifetime and try and riddle it out here, which is no, is no good. We do have these other incarnations that are going on at the same time, though. Really? So you're talking about Julia or Johnny could have multiple incarnations. Would that be an example of parallel lives? Oh, I was more or less trying to go from the soul perspective. The soul has an infinite amount of lives that are happening at the same time. But you bring up an interesting idea of, you know, like maybe I wore the red shirt today instead of the blue shirt. Or maybe I accidentally hit a tree on my way into work instead of, you know, smooth sailing. Maybe I did choose to pick up my cell phone when I was driving into work and instead of the other me that decided to just look at that text when I got to work. It's a really interesting idea. And I think that you can actually get sucked down that rabbit hole and Mm -hmm. reach like 
decision paralysis <laughs> of what am I going to do with my life? Yeah. In this day and age, we have too many choices as it is. That idea conjures up alternate universes, which are infinite, which you're right. I, I want to avoid that rabbit hole, but it's it's yeah. kind of interesting when people mention parallel lives, which can get pretty confusing also, I think. Yeah, it can. It, it's really interesting. So any incarnation, any other life that's going on right now from the soul level is a parallel life to you. It is. Because time is nonlinear. It's not a steady progression from the three lives in front of you to get to John. It, everything is happening all same at the time. same time. The idea of parallel lives is really more accurate than a past life. But because here on Earth, we do use time, it is sometimes more useful to use the term past life because it's not 1856 anymore, right? That's the past. We're here now. But it's easier to reference that time exactly. when you lived in 1856 or 1910 to put it into perspective, which is really hard to get your head around until you hear it a dozen times in the spiritual realm, there is no time. It is all happening at once. Exactly. Yeah. And I'm still confused. It gets trippy. Yeah. Very. And that, that could be a discussion for another day, which the great part about all this adventure, you know, the journey and trying to learn, which you're right, never ends, is that it's a continuum. It doesn't begin and it doesn't really end, does it? No. No. And that's the fun. Yeah. Julia, thanks so much for joining us today. How can our listeners find you online? Yeah, thank you so much for having me. You can find me at divinerealignment.com. You can find me on Facebook at Divine Realignment 377. I also have a Facebook group called Becoming Divine. You can find me on Instagram at divine.realignment. And I'm on YouTube by Divine Realignment as well. I will put those links in the show notes as always. You've been listening to Closer to Venus. I'm Johnny Burke. Thanks for tuning in. And we'll see you next time.